it's that magical time of the year. Let's face it, it's kind of felt like that magical time of the year since the holiday decorations hit the shelves back in October. The pressure to shop early and the fear of missing out, the FOMO, has never been stronger. There's a good chance that you probably have kids who are excited about the holiday season, mostly because of the anticipation of the gifts that are to come. If that sounds like your kids, you are not alone. Today, we're talking about simplifying the holiday season, staying focused on what matters the most, the real reason for the season. Sometimes as parents, we shift the narrative towards the gifts and the presents and the getting without even noticing it. It is never too late to start teaching and emphasizing the things that matter the most. Family togetherness, connection, religion, whatever that is in your family. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. This week's episode is sponsored by Renzo's Vitamins. I stumbled upon Renzo's last year when I was looking for an iron supplement for one of my kids, and they quickly became huge fans. Renzo's Vitamins is a new children's vitamin brand that offers parents like you and I a clean, healthy, delicious solution to their nutritional concerns and deficiencies. If you have kids who are fans of their gummy vitamins, I think they're going to love these melty tabs as much as my kids do. They're small, melt-in-your-mouth tablets that are made with clean ingredients. They're vegan, free of sugar, GMOs, gluten. So if you want to try them out, you can save 20% by using my code DENAY20, D-E-N-A-Y-E-20, when you visit renzosvitamins.com. That's R-E-N-Z-O-S vitamins.com with the code DENAY20. Some exclusions do apply. All right, welcome back to today's episode. We are talking all about simplifying the holiday season. In particular, we're going to be talking a lot about Christmas. My guest, Meg Nordman, is the author of the book, Have Yourself a Minimalist Christmas, Slow Down, Save Money, and Enjoy a More Intentional Holiday. In my family, we also celebrate Christmas, but I am hopeful that some of you who don't celebrate Christmas may still gain some important insight on streamlining and prioritizing during this busy season. Meg is a former journalist. She's also the mother of two little girls. And in addition to her book, she's also a podcaster. Her podcast is Journey to Freedom. I hope you enjoy my casual conversation with Meg today. I loved hearing her insights on this joyful but sometimes chaotic time of the year. Without further ado, here's today's episode. Hi, Meg. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Danae? I'm good. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. I'm so glad to be on here. It's such an honor. I've been listening to you for years. (laughs) Oh, well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Sure. I am, first of all, a mom and wife, and I have two little girls that just turned three and five, and we live on the beach on a little island off the coast of Florida, and 
We are now minimalist. Did not start out that way, but um, we are now minimalist. And because of that, we um, found the path to financial freedom or financial independence. And that is about to kickstart a new chapter um, in the jungle. But um, that's a, a whole nother story. <laughs> but um, I'm also the author of a book that came out last year. And you so graciously wrote the foreword for it and recorded the forward for the audiobook. And it's it's been fantastic. And I'm enjoying getting to talk about this subject because it was a big change for me. <laughs> Well, I absolutely enjoyed your book and I think it's much needed. Um, your book, have yourself a minimalist Christmas, slow down, save money and enjoy a more intentional holiday is something that I think so many of us are in need of. And this year feels like we're, we're like doubling down. I don't know if you feel that or not, but it's like we missed last year. So like, let's do it up times two or four. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. We're like all playing catch up. And then on top of it, everything's just, there's like an extra insane message with everyone worried about the shelves not being full and shipments not coming in from across the sea. So it's just like an urgency to buy it now, or you won't have anything to buy for Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) I know that there are real supply chain issues, but I also wonder how much of that has been sort of inflated in marketing and just trying to get people to buy now and to buy bigger, um, so they don't miss the boat kind of, (laughs) there's a pun there. Um, so you don't (laughs) miss the boat on getting what you, what you think that your kids might need. I've definitely heard some friends who have said that they went and they bought all the gifts early. And now the kids are, you know, making the Santa lists and the Santa lists are all different from the things that they already bought for their kids. (laughs) Of course. Doesn't it morph like every week or something? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So today let's talk about a little bit about having a minimalist Christmas or maybe not even a minimalist Christmas, but a more simple Christmas or holiday season, whatever holiday season it is. Um, everyone listening celebrates. Um, so did you start, did you, do you feel like you started moving towards a simpler holiday season immediately when you started moving towards a simpler life or did that come later? It came later. So I actually moved towards minimalism first. And uh, just to give a very brief synopsis, because I know we don't have a ton of time, but um, you know, I used to be an extremely busy person and a yes person and a fast paced career. And I was a shopaholic and I was a, basically a hoarder. I, you know, not, there weren't rats or anything. It's not like the hoarder show, but I never let go of anything in my life. I mean, everything was special and keepsakes and, you know, every tiny trinket and piece of paper, it seems had some reason I had some reason to hold on to it. And, um, it wasn't until my husband or then boyfriend at the time, you know, moved in and he was already a minimalist from being a traveler. And he was just kind of a, a nomadic person with a backpack and he'd already released everything. And then he moved into my insane apartment and we decided to move to Florida and pack up all my stuff. And I decluttered for the first time after reading Marie Kondo's book, after a suggestion from a friend. And I asked, uh, does this spark joy for the first time? And that helped me declutter a little bit. I, it felt like a big deal at the time, but it was not even scratching the surface of all the many types of questions you have to ask and all the psychological reasons of why we justify holding on to things. Um, so I still moved with just unbelievable amount of stuff. I mean, 
we're talking an SUV packed, a huge trailer behind it and a U-Haul truck. And this is for just little young me, <laughs> you know, basically a single person because my husband didn't have anything, but, um, and yeah, isn't, so- it, isn't it funny that you, it's, it's easier to pack stuff up and move it across the country than it is to get rid of it. I know, (laughs) which is, it's just, it's not an easy task. It's a huge, huge, heavy, literally heavy task, but yet on some level, it's easier than going through it and getting rid of it. It is great that we downsized though, because when we arrived to this little place on the Island here, I mean, it's 700 square feet and it comes with like with little 1960s miniature closets. So I arrived with all this stuff and then I immediately had to downsize a little bit because I couldn't physically fit it in the house. And then after about a year of living in that state where, I mean, it was just suffocating like claustrophobia from the amount of stuff I was still trying to keep and hold on to, I, um, I had to really start looking into minimalism, this random word, my husband (laughs) would throw out there. And, uh, and that also coincided with me having my first child and, Uh, you know, you accumulate so much more stuff when you have a baby (laughs) and, and people were very generous and I'm grateful for it, but my goodness, I received so much stuff. And then um, after trying my my first attempt as a, a minimalist mom and scaling back on all this child stuff, then I had that first real Christmas with her as a one year old. And I went completely overboard. I just any, anything that I had learned about minimalism went out the window. I had no budget. I had no set calendar of what we were going to do. I just wanted to do everything. And I just was overly excited, um, about being the the magic maker. (laughs) You know, I just, I feel like that's part of my job duty as a parent or a mom. And I know that's a whole nother thing we could unpack, but, um, yeah, I just ended up very overwhelmed. Everything felt very chaotic and stressful. I felt like I was dragging my family around. My poor husband was just exhausted from all the local holiday events that I insisted we had to go to for tradition's sake. (laughs) And, um, because I was trying too hard to establish the traditions, you know, and then I had everything under the sun. I I bought everything my child could need for the first five years of her life in one Christmas. And, um, and by the time, you know, the day after Christmas arrived, I was just kind of sitting around looking at it all and like, what did I just do? You know? And so it's been over these, you know, handful of years, I've, I've pretty quickly learned how to start scaling back and being more intentional and simplifying that to now Christmas looks like a totally different thing for us. Yeah. And it inspired you to write a book. Yeah. Yeah. It really did because I, I was seeking that information after that first Christmas in all these minimalist Facebook groups that I was in to like help me through the decluttering process. And, uh, there's a lot of like minimalist mom type groups and around every fall, the same questions get asked. There's always new people that are interested in simplifying and minimalism, slow living, simple living. And so every year there's a new wave of people asking the same questions over and over again, the same questions I asked five years ago. And, uh, and so it finally occurred to me that 
this was what I wanted to write about. <laughs> I was like, I, I can answer all of this because I've lived it. I have been that person on the other extreme and now it doesn't feel this way anymore. And, and it also wasn't just new people. It was people like myself who already felt like they were minimalist. Like I felt like I already had this under my thumb and then society and like culture, traditional pressures, it, it all still crept in somehow, you know, and, and yeah. sabotaged all my previous efforts. Yeah. And, so- and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that you felt the pressure to make the magic. And I know so many parents, especially moms feel that they feel like they really need to make the season magical, especially this year, because kids have missed out on so much over the past two years with the pandemic. Um, so I think that that feeling of needing to make it magical is, is a real thing. It's a real pressure. Um, I had someone just recently ask me, um, how do they phrase it? Something along the lines of their kid asked for a gift from Santa that they don't want to buy them. Can they not buy that gift that the kid wants? And thinking to myself, well, you are Santa. So you do get to make the decisions here, but it's, it is funny because we, we feel like we don't really have a choice in the matter, but we do, you know, I think about like my daughter this year really, really wanted gotta go turtle. Do you know, gotta go turtle? No, I don't. Okay. It's a, I've talked about it a couple of times in the podcast. Anyone who listens regularly will be well familiar with gotta go turtle. Um, it's this silly toy that poops kinetic sand and it's a turtle, but so it's spelled, spelled T U R D L E like turd oh, gotta gosh. go turtle. And it just poops kinetic sand. And it is just so dumb. And that's <laughs> all <Slash> brilliant. <laughs> right. And she just really, really wanted that. And that's what she was going to ask Santa for. And I told her that, no, I told her, no, that Santa was not going to bring her that Santa doesn't have got to go turtle. Um, and I just said, no. And I said, I don't like it. And I don't want it. I don't want it in our house. It kind of, it felt hard to say those things to say no to something that she really wanted. But I also think I would have felt uncomfortable if I had bought something I really didn't want in our house. I don't know. Does that resonate with you at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know one of the things I've, I've done is to try to redirect my attention away from the toys. So I I don't ask my children, what do you want for Christmas? Like they don't at the moment. And I know I've only got a three and five-year-old. So maybe parents with older kids are rolling their eyes. It's probably going to change at some point, but right now I don't want to train them into thinking that this is part of the Christmas process. We don't write lists. Like I, we write letters to Santa and, and they can be, you know, kind words and questions. Um, but they're not, here's a list of what I want. And I don't let them see the catalogs that come in the mail or that the cash register person, you know, hands me, um, when I check out at target or whatever. Um, I don't let them even know that that world exists yet. And, uh, I don't, want them to know to go sit on Santa's lap for a picture and ask for something, but they can sit over there and and say, hello, you know, ask them about the elves, ask them about the North pole. 
Yeah. I think there that we, as parents have a lot of power in how we control the narrative around Christmas and the holiday season. And I do think that we inadvertently push the Santa stuff, you know, let's make a list. Let's go sit on his lap, say what we want. Talking about the mm-hmm. naughty or nice list, the elf on the shelf. Like there's a lot of, um, a lot of getting and, um, wanting stuff woven into all of that. And I think that, and that's no shame or fault of parents. Like that's what most of us have grown up with. Most of us know of the holiday season, but I think it's also a real opportunity for us to start to shift that narrative to talking about, you know, fun holiday experiences and embracing the holiday season in new ways that don't just revolve around the gift getting And that, I think it takes a little bit more practice. You know, I still find myself when I see kids around the holidays, I just want to ask like, oh, what are you asking Santa for this year? Like making conversation. Yeah. Um, But it's, it is, you know, that's a week I grew up with this heavy Santa gift narrative in the holiday season. And with my kids, I mean, and we have, my kids are now five and almost eight and we, we do one gift from Santa each year. And they get to pick what it is within reason. No, gotta go turtles. Um, but they, like, I originally, I didn't give them the catalogs. Like, like you said, you know, and we kind of, we tried to steer clear of the toy section because I was afraid that they would be begging and wanting. And now they have actually just this past year, they started watching television shows with commercials. So they started seeing a lot of the real CRAP. Um, mm-hmm. and that is like, I mean, the commercials on TV, I feel like are like, it's like some of the worst of the worst stuff, like gotta go turtle. That's where she saw that. And I'm like trying not to fear that anymore. And using those as conversational topics, you know, look at all this stuff. Like, how do we choose the good stuff? How do we choose the stuff that's going to last us stuff that we're going to love for a long time? How do we weed out the junk? And we do talk about junk. Um, so it's, I, I do think that exposing them to some of it really starts to open up the conversation about decision-making around the accumulation of stuff. Um, but I do think you're right in the sense that we, we do control the narrative and like, how much do we, do we bring up the idea of gifts and how much do we bring up the list-making and how can we do that less? Can it, will it make a difference? Exactly. And, and the thing, I think this is either chapter one or chapter two in my book, it's early on. The thing that really helped me release myself from that narrative was realizing just how young this story is, because I think because the way I grew up and it sounds like you did too, um, it is almost this myth is, is so fanatical and it's, it's so clear that it's almost like a religion in the way that we treat this Santa story that, you know, like I felt like I had to play into it. And when I realized, I'll give you the really quick synopsis of, of how this part of the Christmas story was developed. Um, so St. Nicholas, he is a monk from like 280 AD, gave away his wealth for those in need. And then, you know, fast forward all the way to 1773 in the US, which is not that long ago, he, he reappears in New York newspapers where Dutch families are now celebrating the anniversary of his death. And somewhere in there, a newspaper caught, caught wind of this and images of him, the St. Nicholas 
are, are appearing of him putting things in stockings. So that's where that image comes from is the stockings. And then right about the same time, a, a priest or a preacher writes a poem for his nieces that is towards the night before Christmas. And it was literally just a present for them, this little poem, not intended to go public. And he was very embarrassed when it went public because it had nothing to do with religion. But he just illustrated this idea of Santa, which had just hit newspapers as like a shopping idea, Santa, St. Nicholas. So it was kind of all worked together. And when he wrote Twas the Night Before Christmas, that shaped, and this is like around the 1830s, I believe, that shaped Christmas as we know it, as far as the Santa narrative goes. And so the malls catch wind of this and they latch on and they get their advertising executives to fuel this story in this image. And the next thing you know, you've got Macy's, which has a live Santa for people to come and visit for the first time. And they start the Thanksgiving parade in the 20s. They put Santa at the end, 1931, Coca-Cola, really whoever that advertising executive was, they, that illustrator made the image of Santa that we picture now and also created Sprite Boy, who was a little green elf that was a helper. And it wasn't until like the 60s or 70s when Sprite came around. But I mean, like the whole elf story came from (laughs) Coca-Cola. And then it was, uh, let's see, 1934, Santa Claus is coming to town is written. So we get the idea of a good list and not a naughty list. 1939, Rudolph is created, 1950, Frosty, 2005, Elf on the Shelf. So once I realized that Santa was not yet 200 years old and Rudolph and Frosty were about 70 years old and Elf on the Shelf was 15 years old, I was like, oh, this is a brand new thing that (laughs) malls and corporate you know, advertising executives created, and I'm just playing into their story that they made up. And I don't know why, but that really released me from having that pressure to push the story so much. I'm not a Grinch. We definitely have Christmas and Santa, but it's just shifting it away from what they want me to say. Yeah. That makes sense. (laughs) And I think we're allowed to pick and choose the things that we want to include. Like if you don't want to include elf on the shelf, you don't have to my kids, Mm -hmm. we've never done elf on the shelf and they've asked about doing it before. And I'm just like, we just don't do it in our family. And it just, it is what it is. And, and they've moved on. I think there's a lot of pressure to keep up and to do all the things, especially around this time of the year. Um, but I think that parents can and should feel confident saying no to the things that don't fill up their cup. Like I know for one, me, I would not feel excited about jumping on the elf on the shelf bandwagon because that sort of thing, like doing something every day, creating this little magical experience every day sounds exhausting to me. So I know (laughs) that it might be fun for like one day. And then after that I would lose steam and and give up on it. So it's just, it's not my thing. So I'm not going to get in over my head on something that is not going to be enjoyable. And it's going to be a lot of work for me to keep up with. So I think that we can feel confident in saying no to the parts, to the traditions that aren't for us. And know that our kids are going to live full lives regardless of that. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm currently just trying to create, you know, 
I, as the magic maker here, I want to create all these memories, but I just don't want it to be around toys. So for me, it's, you know, the simple things like the hot chocolate and with all the little marshmallows on top. And we just took the girls out on a drive to look at all the Christmas lights because our area is majorly lit up. Um, it's a tourist destination for Christmas lights. So that's a relatively free thing to do besides gas, drive around and say, out the look at the left. Okay. Now look out the right. And, um, and, and they had little thermoses of hot chocolate and that's going to probably stick way more than what did I receive for first grade? And I think with the holiday season starting so early these days that we can focus on celebrating the season rather than just December 25th. And I think there's so much buildup when it's like, you're counting down the number of days. And then what is the buildup really for the buildup? I mean, let's admit it. The buildup is about when the presents arrive, um, when you get to tear into the pile of presents. So like, what if we just instead focused on the time leading up where we are gathering with family, gathering with friends, you know, seeing the Christmas lights or seeing the holiday lights and going to see a show, whatever the experiences might be. And making that the part of the narrative, right? We're in the holiday season. We're not just, it's not the holiday season. Isn't just one giant buildup for December 25th. It's a whole time to be celebrated. And that's really what I'm trying to do with my kids is we're enjoying this time, not just viewing this as a waiting game, you know, until the 25th. So I think, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say another thing that I've since learned after that first Christmas or two that was pure chaos and, and very overwhelming and full of stuff. I now uh, I curate my calendar. I edit my calendar well in advance. So I sat down on November 1st this year and I talk about this in the book about hard plans and loose plans, but uh, I want to make sure like we were talking about, I, I fill up the season with more meaningful memories rather than it just being the toys on the 25th but I have to be really intentional about that pacing or else I will wear us all out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I I really sit down and I'm like, okay, one tradition that I absolutely love and have stuck with is I take the girls just, just as girls to go see the Nutcracker ballet every year. I, I did it before I had kids and we just, it just resonates with us as a family. We really love the Nutcracker ballet. So I have to find, Hey, that only has two showings. And I need to figure out which date in advance fits our family schedule and budget for those tickets because they're not cheap. And then we also like, you know, there's the symphony that does the Christmas carols. And when, when do they light up the Christmas tree downtown in the plaza or the Christmas tree on the pier on the beach? Those are two totally different events. You know, do I want to go to both or just one, you know? Um, and, And so we have just an insane amount of, activities we could do, uh, is St. Augustine, Florida. It's wild, uh, for Christmas, but to sit down and figure that out in advance and put them in the calendar, make sure I don't have five things in one day or five things in one week, even. (laughs) And then once I've established that and I've bought the tickets in advance, so I'm not sweating it in December. And I, I know like I'm not spending any more money on events, all these other mom friends that are so wonderful that text me and say, Hey, we're heading out to the Santa, uh, hay ride through the corn maze <laughs> or whatever it is. I mean, there's just constantly something I can politely decline. 
And that's another thing I talked about in the book is, is how to do that gracefully. But, uh, cause that used to be very difficult for me and, uh, how, how to just keep that slow pace going and work in all the small loose plans, which are the things I mentioned, like looking at lights or having hot chocolate or watching a holiday film. They don't need a date attached to them. Loose plans. I can just slowly work in. I don't actually have to write them into the calendar, but I write them off to the side. So I know that, okay, I really wanted to watch Charlie Brown Christmas. We don't have anything going on on this week. So maybe I'll loosely plan for us to snuggle up and watch that that week. So yeah, I love that. And I also think that sometimes we put really big expectations on these sort of events. Um, like for instance, it's, this weekend on Saturday night, we went to see the zoo lights at our local zoo and it was great. I, we had never been to something like that before at the zoo where they just light everything up and they have performers. And it was a really fun night. Like everyone was happy and getting along and moods were good. Despite the fact that we were out a little bit after bedtime, it just, it flowed and it was a great experience. And then the next day our, it was our, um, which was last night, it was our town's tree lighting. So we just literally had to walk a half mile to the town Christmas tree for the tree lighting. And it was a disaster. Like it was late. It was past bedtime. It was no one had eaten well and it was dark and my kids were wearing dark jackets and I just couldn't see them. They were all over the place. And it was just, it was not enjoyable at all. So I pulled the plug and we left before the tree was even lit. And I was just like, you know what? We got to (laughs) go. We just got to (laughs) go. And I think that, and being, feeling free to do that, right. Because sometimes things are not going to be the way that you envision them to be like, how do you know? And when can you feel empowered to pull the plug when you need to pull the plug and be like, you know, this just isn't, it's just not working out. It's not enjoyable. It's not the way that I sort of saw it all going down and that's okay. Sometimes, you know, you win some, you lose some, right. Exactly. And you can, it's kind of like editing in the moment and then editing for the future. So the same thing with the Nutcracker Ballet, it's tradition, but I totally go in with expectations that we may need to leave at intermission. <laughs> like only half the times have we seen the second act. And, and then also whenever you're curating your calendar or thinking about things the next year, you know, feel free to edit that tradition out because I felt like when I started this in motherhood, like once I declared something to be a tradition, I had to stick it out. And that was part of the problem in those early years where we were feeling stressed because I was like, well, last year we saw the sailboat parade. We have to see it this year. It doesn't matter if you have a holiday work party at the same exact time on the same day. We're just going to do both. You know, I was just yeah. pure insanity because I, I couldn't let go back then of this idea of I'm the magic maker. This is the tradition. And so being able to edit that out and, and also some things that I grew up with that were magical for me as a child, being able to recognize that it doesn't have to fit with my life now as a mother. So I loved decorating the outside of the house as a kid. And that's a beautiful memory. Right. And I agree. I think that we can feel a lot of pressure to have a lot of decorations at our houses, but I don't think we have to own it to enjoy it. I mean, there are so many other places, you know, public parks, um, other people's homes that you can drive by. If decorating your house doesn't fill you with joy and it feels like a lot of work, 
then maybe you take a break from that for a couple of years or maybe forever, whatever suits you. I think that we can feel a lot of pressure to do all the things every year, but you know, maybe this season of life, you don't, you know, maybe you don't decorate, maybe you don't send holiday cards. I have not sent holiday cards since we had kids. We always used to send one. And then the first year we became parents, my son was a November baby. So we were overwhelmed and we just haven't done it. And I always want to do it and I haven't, but you know what, in another season, like someday I will do it again and I'm taking a break, an extended break right now. And that's okay. Same here. Same here. I wanted, I did it before I had kids. And then that very first year, again, I have an October baby, same thing. So I ended up sending out Valentine's cards with photos of her instead. And I thought I will make this a tradition. No, that was just one year and that's okay. I've gotten over the card. Right. And there is a lot of pressure around tradition and doing something every year. And I I think keep up traditions that feel good and that are enjoyable and feel okay. Letting go of the things that are not. And you're right. Like if you really felt inspired, you would have kept up on those Valentine cards and you didn't, and they went by the wayside and life goes on. Right. I don't think that's, does it, does it feel like a big loss to you? No, it really doesn't. (laughs) I thought it would, you know, back then, but it doesn't, um, no, but I, I'm realizing a theme here as we're talking about this, so much of it is giving yourself the permission to opt out, you know, just over and over. Like, and and that's almost the point of two thirds of this book. (laughs) It's just, you don't have to, I know you think you have to, but you don't. (laughs) Right. And so much of it, we do it for our kids and then the kids don't enjoy it or don't care about it, or it's not important to them. And we have somehow inflated this idea of what our kids want slash need slash enjoy. And it doesn't even necessarily align with what they want in the holiday season. Exactly. I know another big question that was asked a lot. It's probably the the big question that prompted me to want to write the book is how to ask family as a minimalist, how to ask them to not give so much or to give it all. (laughs) Because so many people have scaled back. They've decluttered. They feel like they've got a handle on their house now, or they're getting to that point. And then Christmas comes. And even though they have been very intentional about what Santa brings other people, friends and family, it feels like they're wrecking that. Like a lot of people that I've seen ask the question in Facebook groups, they feel like someone is doing it on purpose, you know, like they're trying, trying to sabotage you. (laughs) Um, that's a big question there. Yeah. And I think we have to give time because just even though you have made this change and you're moving towards a simpler holiday season and a simpler home, it doesn't mean that everybody else around you has, and they may even doubt that you are going to stick it out. I know that my family definitely doubted that I was going to stick it out. So I think with time they'll see, you know, they'll come to your house. They see how you live. They see the changes that you've made, the changes, not only in how you're keeping your stuff, but also the changes in your personal well-being and your mental health. And they'll see that, oh, like this is not going away. Like this is going to stick around and like, this is how they live. And naturally they will start buying differently, but it may take years. Like it may take three, four or five years. Have you seen people start to buy differently just through watching you? Absolutely. My mother-in-law who is probably one of the more avid gift givers in, in my life. I have a best friend 
and my mother-in-law. And I, I know gifts are their love language. And this year, this is year five. She asked me, she said she'd like to give an experience and to please let her know which experience gift. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's been listening to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's another option, right? Start a podcast and talk right, all about exactly. it. Write a book about it. Make it happens. impossible to ignore. <laughs> no, but, I do. Uh, I think that it comes with, with time, with conversation too, with tactful conversation and it's never personal. Like, I don't think, I don't know, maybe I'm ignorant here, but I would say that there have been very few gifts given just to like incite irritation in other people. Like I think oh, generally absolutely. gifts are given with the best of intention. They're given to light up others with joy. Very rarely do I think gifts are actually given with malintent, like hoping to upset someone. So I think that we can rest assured that if you are getting gifts that you, you don't want, they were given in good spirit with, exactly. with a good heart. Um, so I think rechecking, rechecking your intent and making sure that you're not misinterpreting that. Cause it does, you know, people do misinterpret that. They do a lot. And I think a, a helpful thing to remember is that whole dopamine oxytocin cocktail boost that people get from both buying the gift and then giving it and, and, and receiving it. But a lot of people who do associate gift giving as a love language, there's this strong dopamine and oxytocin boost that they're getting from it. And so, right. yeah, to, to look yeah. at them with love and compassion and give them a hug and a smile and a thank you graciously yeah. and know that this is just a feel good moment for them and, and to, to release that need for it to feel transactional, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then also, you know, besides just dropping hints through how you live your life and how minimalism or simplifying is helping, you know, to feel like you can start the conversation about setting limits. So, um, my family has kind of experimented my extended family every year, it seems. So like one year it was probably like a, I think like a money thing, like a cap, like no more than 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. And um, for one person. And we all would pick that another year. It was just books. We all agreed. Okay. Find a fiction or a nonfiction book. You pick your person and your favorite book that you'd love for them to read. We did that. That was a really successful year. Um, so setting some kind of limits, maybe it's just the grandkids, just the kids, nobody, you know, 19 and under or something like that. Um, and then also providing lists, I think in a digital format can be helpful for me. Pinterest has been a really good thing to create a Pinterest board because I know you can make Amazon wish lists or you can make probably lists on target and Walmart or anywhere. Um, but Pinterest, you know, you can save links from anywhere on the web. And so I've kept a board for my children. I keep a board for myself though. No one ever asks, <laughs> but, um, I think that's a really good way. So if a family member says, well, what is, you know, Edda into now that she's five, I'm clueless. I don't know what five-year-olds yeah. like, then I can be like, here is a board with some ideas for you. And I know that everything that's pinned on that board would be something that would be enjoyed and useful and less likely to feel like clutter in a quick span of time, you know? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the joy of giving gifts. So my son is maybe the most enthusiastic gift receiver I have ever seen. 
like he Aww. needs to be in the theater. He will literally like when my my mom gave him a birthday gift and she watched him open it on FaceTime because she's out of state. And he literally like fell to the ground with excitement, just so excited about these Beyblades that she got him, which she already has Beyblades. But it was just just this overwhelming burst of enthusiasm. And I know that she was equal almost probably not falling out of her chair, but like almost as excited to see him open it as he was to receive it. And when you have kids like that, that get so excited, it's, it is, it feels like a real joy to watch them light up and know that you brought that joy. Um, but the flip side of that is like, he's the kid that puts the Beyblades in a drawer and then doesn't touch them for six months. (laughs) Like (laughs) he really, like, he was so excited about getting them. And I maybe have seen him play with them twice in, in the past like a couple of weeks since he got them. And so it's just like, you have to like keep both things in mind, right? Like there's that joy that you get when you open that up and open the gift. And when you give the gift and then also the reality of what comes after the joy, like what is going to happen to that gift after the joy has passed? Cause that significant joy often is fleeting. Yeah. So like, how is that? And that to me is really at the heart of the experience gift, right? I want to give an experience gift that is going to light up a kid and create an enjoyable memory and also not create clutter. And, but it's hard though, because, you know, I think so much of our culture is revolved around the tangible gifts. Yeah, it really is. Um, I, I, I'm still, I haven't answered my mother-in-law yet on the experience gift thing. And so I'm pondering that too, of like, my kids are really excited about the idea of going on a horse carriage ride. And so there there's an experience that's kind of expensive and it's going to last maybe 30 minutes, I guess, to go around downtown in a horse ride buggy, or do I propose horse lessons or ballet lessons or a zoo membership? I mean, there's so many different directions I can go with this, but, um, yeah, even the experience could, could be a fleeting thing, but then again, the memory might last forever. Yeah. And, and it, and it will in some way, shape or form. I think young kids, the way that their memories are stored are different than adults, especially really young kids, like your three-year-old. Um, I mean, we don't know much about the specifics of the way that kids memories are retained, but we know that pre-verbal, a lot of kids' memories are formed in sensory experiences. So how did, what did they smell? What did they how loud were things, how bright were things sort of through the senses. And then also in pictures, they store memories and pictures in their mind. So later when they're going to retrieve them, once they've acquired language, sometimes it's harder to retrieve those picture and sensory based memories, because as we get older and our language is more advanced, our memory is stored more in words in our mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe a horse carriage ride would be a great one for a little (laughs) one. Right. And, you know, even if they don't, even if they're not able to retrieve that memory, it doesn't mean that it's lost. It's still stored in there. It's, you know, it's part of like building the relationship and building up positive associations with the season and, um, with animals and all the things, I don't know. I don't think that. And I think some people that think, oh, they'll forget about it. They're not going to remember it anyways. You rest assured that that memory will be stored within them. They may, might not be able to recount it word for word when they get older, but it's not going to leave them. It's not fleeting. Let's see. Another thing we do now is declutter before the holidays actually hit. 
So we just recently did a, a big purge in the kids' room to make room for the stuff that is inevitably coming. And, um, you know, like you mentioned, those skates that had to be tucked away, you have to make room for it. So like yeah. letting my children put their hands on the stuff and, and let go of it. And it, it's not an, an easy thing, but um, we do give it to a charity. And I've explained that to them, that these things will be going to another kid that may not have toys this year. And so they have such big, generous hearts naturally. And, uh, and so it takes a little coaxing <laughs> and they, they will eventually find some things that they can make room for. Yeah. And it's a journey, right? You're always, things are always coming in, whether you like it or not, <laughs> some mm -hmm. things coming from school or from daycare or wherever. And Birthday it is party favors. Ah. Right. Yes. Yeah. I feel like I'm still trying to get rid of like the Halloween trinkets that somehow dripped into the house and, yes. um, kids develop some kind of strange emotional attachment to plastic fingers, plastic <laughs> spider rings. Yes. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, it is, it's a constant pruning process, but I think also that process is something that our kids are watching and they're learning from because that it's going to be part of their life experience as they grow too you know, learning how to curate, how to go through, how to downsize, and then how to make better choices about what you're bringing in. Exactly. Um, well, thank you so much, Meg. Tell us where we can find you online. Sure. I have a website, a blog, MegNordman.com. That's M-E-G-N-O-R-D-M-A-N-N. -N. And it's my name, Meg Nordman on social media, everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really active on on everything and Pinterest as well. I've got a lot of minimalist Christmas Pinterest boards set up under every category. So if you need some simplified decor ideas, I've got those too. But um, yeah, I, I talk, I have a podcast as well, Journey to Freedom. And that kind of, I'm shifting from minimalism into financial independence because I've just found that breaking away from the consumerism and that consumerist mindset has made a lot of abundance in my life. So I talk about that a lot online. So yeah, that's where well, you can find me, Meg all, Norman. I'll put those in the show notes too. Thank you so much, Meg. Thanks, Danae. It was great talking to you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to get in touch with Meg, you can find all those links in the show notes at simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 287. As always, thanks for tuning in and have a good one.